0: Hola, yo soy Margarita y estás escuchando Limehouse Podcast. This is Paddy Ashton, and you're listening to the Limehouse Podcast. What a good name that is.
1: Hi, I'm Tom Brake, and this is the Limehouse Podcast. Hello, this is Nick Clegg, and you're listening to the Limehouse Podcast. I hope you enjoy it.
0: Because I'm not persuaded by the case for war. This is what positive politics can do. Okay. For about the 90th time, I'm here with Tim Farron. Well, 90th. I don't know about 90th. Several. several. Yeah, several. Yeah, yeah. We were delayed slightly, or our time not delayed. Our time, our interview was shifted slightly because you uh, had an amendment, a
1: amendment. I had a. Well, it was a. It was a. Very dull. A bid for a standing order 24 debate, um, which uh, would have been about reinstating the Dubs Amendment. What it's worth is about uh, unaccompanied child refugees in Europe. Um, Many of us campaigned for, along with, say, the children, for us to take what was our fair share of the orphaned kids who uh, fled from war zones in Syria and elsewhere. 3,000, I would say, was the minimum, the least we could do, not the most. That's what we campaigned for. The government grudgingly gave us the dubs amendment, uh which was fewer than three thousand. It ended up being about four hundred and sixty or so. They said they'd take then they canceled it before the election altogether, and even under their own massively measly uh target they must mass- they under so only two hundred yeah. kids came yeah. um and that's that's it's, it's, i mean it devastates me when you think about the number of kids out there who are alone and in camps in Europe. And yes, Europe's a safe place, but camps aren't anywhere. Oh, God, um, it's no place to be as a child. Um, we know that, last time I checked, that there was something in the region of um, a minimum of 6,000 children who went missing the year before last in Europe, yeah. uh, who were refugees, who were trafficked. I'm afraid probably sex traffickers. Yeah. Uh, that's the most likely, the evidence suggests. Um, and all we were saying was that Britain should pay its part yeah. In taking some of these kids, giving some of them sanctuary, so that's what the the bid was. I didn't succeed in getting my debate today, but in the reasonable chance I'll get an urgent question right like tomorrow or Thursday. Okay, so you get to chat. chat out. I hope so. I the, the point really is trying to make the government uh, answer for this because they have, first of all, they didn't want to help the kids at all. Then they said they would. Then they reduced the number. Then they set themselves a uh, an even lower target. And they cancelled the scheme altogether, and it turns out they'd never even met that target. Not even got What's, their,
0: what's their motivation? Because They Al- don't want to upset people. You yeah. think there
1: are, there are no votes in helping refugees, there are votes in, and you might even offend people by helping refugees, apparently. Uh, and maybe some newspapers might even, you know, um, uh, campaign against you if you were being, yeah. anyway, compassionate with refugees. There's the awful, shocking picture of Alan Curdy whose body um, mm-hmm. on the beach at Turkey. Um, was printed very bravely by Amal Rajan when he was the editor of the independent that was one of those those moments when a journalist does a vast amount of good by doing something brave and shocking no even even the you know most uh anti social right wing conservative um couldn't have not couldn 't have looked at that and thought we need to do something yeah um and as a consequence of that, and the pressure many of us put on cameron um took in more refugees but it, it, never would they take these. Uh, unaccompanied orphan kids in Europe Europe, and we should be taking our fair share
0: so we'll continue banging on about that and I certainly will. So do you think when you you step down as, as leader do you think you'll have more time to specifically focus on that? Well
1: you should do the things that you're passionate about. Um I've been passionate about saving and resurrecting and making a success of the Liberal Democrats after the death of near death experience we went through. Good job. Charlie well we're still here aren't we? Yeah. You know, yeah. but two years ago we could easily have evaporated and not existed anymore. Um yeah. the SDP was wound up by David Owen back in whatever it was 1990, 1991. To remind that political parties are synthetic and finite yeah. and the values might last forever but you know the parties don't and there's no need for us to survive it didn't we didn't have to and so um yeah doing things you're passionate about you should always do i'm passionate about the Liberal democrats we have saved the party in the last two years given us purpose and give us infrastructure and real real growth another thing i'm passionate about is helping those people who frankly have no voice of their own yeah. and who are so easily demonized and that'll be refugee communities around the world mm. but i'm particularly concerned about you know if you if you to, be, to remove your kids from a one-settled a home and flee because you're afraid you can't guarantee you can keep them alive mm. um, and do something incredibly risky by moving them, it just happens to be less risky than staying. As a dad, that your heart goes out to people in those sort of circumstances. And then you ask yourself, what happens to those kids if they get separated from their family? What happens to those kids if, you know, mum or dad or both of them die in the crossing, as often happens? And I think you, I feel a compassion for those kids, but I think almost as much as the emotion I feel towards compassion towards them, I feel angry that people are so spineless and think it's too politically difficult to help them so they don't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and still going out like, their dental records and have they got facial hair and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, well, you know, yeah.
0: That, that's just. Oh god, it's just that that's harking back, isn't it? We move so quickly now politically that it almost forget about all that. I had a bit of facial hair when I was fourteen. I was
1: still a little boy.
0: Yeah. Thank God I still have my mum.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
0: especially yeah well (laughs) there you go. I mean that's what sort of brought brought my I don't know but my interest into you personally as, as a leader and also conference last year which I can't believe is coming up to a year yeah was you know your particular focus on refugees that, that means a lot that's obviously not going to go anywhere is it I mean no I mean what's it's, happening it, in Syria it's a huge still? yeah it's a geopolitical
1: issue yeah. um even if you can't muster any compassion surely acknowledgement that this is a, a colossal international mm-hmm. issue I mean in terms of have it been a humanitarian crisis, refugee crisis over the last two and a half to three years well since 2011 actually but in particular it's growing the last two and a half to three years is the biggest uh scale humanitarian crisis to hit Europe since 1945 yeah so let's not present it's a mini thing it's yeah. a it's a huge issue it's logistically massive it's politically significant and of course you know it's it's of a humanitarian um nature that you know we we should all want to help you just gotta ask yourself you know a sequence of events that meant that Syria was a safe and comfortable and peaceful place and that the UK was uh, a place that had been plunged into a combination of civil war and the state-sponsored terror against its own people. And, and you'd made that choice to get on a boat and get away because you thought your children were at less risk there than they were staying at their home. And how distressing that would be, you'd want some people to help you. You'd hope that the people in civilised and peaceful, democratic, prosperous Syria, Syria, in my parallel universe, would help out those people who'd run away from the basket case that was Britain. Um, You'd want that, wouldn't you? And if you would, then the answer to what you should do for Syrian refugees is blandingly obvious. Yeah, no,
0: of course. So, if we were to switch tact, I suppose, back yep. to the gen- general election, because that's still, like, you know, we're feeling the aftershock still. Yeah. We'll, we'll be for decades, won't we? If we just go back, maybe do a beginning, middle and end of it. There's just so much to talk about. Yeah. But, because um, I caught up with you roughly towards the middle end of it. Yeah. In Vauxhall. That's right. When the election was called, what was your first phone call? What was, like, the first moment? You, so... What, what for, do we do now? Well, first of all,
1: I... I'm, I was in the. Uh, I was at Manchester Airport, okay. uh, waiting to get the plane to Cornwall to do a perfectly normal scheduled local election visit down to Truro. Or oh, depends on to so not depends on to uh, to Newquay and then to Truro. Mm-hmm. As I was waiting to get on board the flight, suddenly all the kind of furore began that Theresa May was going to make a statement. Okay, mm-hmm. and so she did. But at the point I took off, went into airplane mode. We didn't know. So I had like forty-five minutes to an hour, just not sure. Yeah, right Um, And it gave me the chance to kind of think Oh, what do I think about this? I think the first thing to say is um, If it's happening, you need to be up for it Um, And there is no point regretting that it's happening So I I landed thinking, I'm up for this But actually looking back I had no alternative but to be up for it You know, it's a bit (laughs) like I mean, to lead a political party through a general election is a bit like, like qualifying for the World Cup You know, whether you're Brazil or whether you're, you know Um uh, Costa Rica or whether you're you know, someone even uh, know, Costa Rica beat England didn't they so we, we, can we fit right on? <laughs> let's maybe, not be, a, let's not be offensive maybe. Vatican City State yeah. um, but yeah. Um, yeah. you know none of those but it's no, a big deal and, you, and you're not up for it why bother yeah. um, so I landed and I thought right let's go for this and there was a great mood on the ground and I think people felt this was our moment I think um, if you move through the campaign it became obvious that Theresa May's miscalculation hit us too. I think if it had been a three or four week campaign I think the Liberal Democrats' incredibly clear and unique message on Brexit would have made a, a bigger difference. Yeah. I think the fact that halfway through the campaign local elections happened the Tories won by a landslide in the local elections and it meant it became a referendum on Theresa May. Yeah. Not a rerun of the referendum from last year and people felt that Jeremy Corbyn wasn't going to be Prime Minister as so they could afford to vote for him as the kind of main opposite pole to Theresa May, which meant that we got a bit drowned out. Having said all of that, you know, this was the first general election uh, since Charles Kennedy's day that we made any gains, and he made net gains. We remember that what we did in terms of making that a very hugely risky decision, and it was a conscious decision to risk everything, including my own seat and the whole party, on betting the farm, on backing Britain and Europe. Yeah, well, Um, yeah, I mean... And and so I think that all paid off, maybe not with the interest we might have hoped, but it paid off. We've saved the party, the party's twice the size it was, we've seen growth in local government, and we've, you know, we've got a a front bench now with more government experience than Labour's. A bigger and stronger parliamentary party. So I think we feel that, as a result, at at the end of the campaign, I think we felt that was a good result. You ask about the middle... I think there was a... It just felt stodgy in the middle of the local elections, like it was hard to get the message across. And, like, people got bored of the election and it was just boiled down simply to do you trust Theresa May or not? And if you don't, then people were tending to vote Labour, which yeah. was frustrating.
0: So when when you... when Obviously, you were going through the, um, the controversy around gay sex stuff and what have you, and you were like this is probably, well, I mean, I have no idea what you were thinking, but I'm probably thinking you know, this is grinding you down and making you feel like total crap, probably. It would make me feel like total yeah. crap. You decide to carry on with, the, obviously, the campaign. You're not just going to quit, like yeah. Roy Hodgson or whatever, but, I mean, <laughs> you know, you, you carry on. What was going through your mind in the... Like, the general election campaign's furious and I, all that.
1: Yeah, I've, I've loved the leadership. I've loved doing the job. I'm totally at peace at stepping down, yeah. um, for reasons I'll come to in a moment, but I think... The frustrating thing is that when you're constantly asked questions about your theology, <laughs> you know you've only got, like, so much bandwidth
2: and, oh, uh, uh, and so many
1: yeah. column inches in a day and yeah. your your time is soon eaten up. And if the first half is being taken up with people asking me, I mean, I even got asked, you know, but you know, so uh, Leviticus says X about eating shellfish, and he's like, oh, come off it. Uh, you know, and there is a reason why I didn't go taking on answering theological questions, is because the Bible's a blooming long book. Mm-hmm. If you start on one, along comes the next one, the next one, the next one. And, you know, I'm, you know, as a, as a person who will not be leader of the party for very much longer, you know, I'm in a position where maybe I might speak about these things a bit more. But when you're leader of the party, you are the main message carrier. And my job is to get out there and talk about putting a penny on income tax for health and social care, about undoing the cuts in education, about making sure that we had an intelligent evidence based drugs policy about making sure that we gave the British people the final say on the referendum deal. Yeah. All those sorts of things, not being asked over and over again by people who weren't really interested in the answers. You know, frankly theological issues to do with your private faith. So I think that was frustrating because you just want to get the message across. I am mean, no, I consider myself to be a good message carrier, somebody who's you know good at expressing themselves and communicating a message. Coherent. And when yeah. you and when you're yeah. being yeah, when you're being completely uh, sidetracked onto something which was just not my job, it was irrelevant to the campaign. That's frustrating. And so I kind of took the view that you can either make all that go away by just saying I don't mean all this Christian stuff. You know, don't worry about it. It's just a, I'm just culturally Christian. You know, just, <laughs> I, just, yeah. I just do Christmases and Easter's so don't I'm, really I just, just go to church because I'm it's, spiritual. You know, I'm, yeah. yeah, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and and deny that you know uh, what Christianity means to me, which is you know, all important, so I could, I could road-crash my faith completely. Or, it occurred to me that we have got, I think, to a black-and-white situation here. There was no middle way. Or, I could continue to put the party through quite a lot of pain of having great ideas and great messages and having a leader who was being denied the opportunity to get them across mm. um, because of all that. And in the end, I chose not to compromise my faith or put the party through that kind of pain and to step aside. And when you're aware of the fact that you've done a job, you know, the party was literally at death's door and rumours of our death were not exaggerated. They were totally plausible. Uh, we were not just, you know, hollowed out, lost nearly 90% of our MPs, a third of our members, half of our councillors. We'd actually lost our reason to be. If the Liberal Democrats disappear, who'd have missed us say a lot of people, and we managed to fight back from that rebuild, give us a real purpose and a mission, a sense of mission and enjoying ourselves and so we completed that job, yeah. you know, the ship was was rescued we off we sail off through quieter seas and certainly to a an interesting destination either way we're seaworthy and we're safe. I felt the job had been done, and yeah if I, there's no way of squaring that circle of me being you know a committed christian and being permitted the space to lead my party then i shrug and make way for a great man i am not going off to lick my wounds because i don't feel like i've got any wounds to lick i quite a piece the decision i made loads more to achieve you know and i you know leadership
0: is a team game can but, i can i ask yeah. like, just before i forget because i do try and make some more of a conversation i do have questions but I yeah go, to on. go with it but you're obviously, you know, man of faith. You you have the ability, you have the the blessing of being able to sort of in your quiet moments to have an inner an inner strength, right? From God and, and who you pray to. So yeah. obviously you've had some serious moments of reflection. Yeah. You know, so in years to come, how how have you been able to like frame this in your mind? Like sort of because being able those quiet moments in life mm. after the general election, those that result that you know, you're you know people like Sarah Olney who narrowly missed out. I mean, I know that there are people that were like Mark Williams who are outraged with some of the party literature that lost their seats. Greg Mulholland, he's a close friend of yours, yeah, you is know. Um, how have you been able to reconcile some of those those moments? The people that lost out, like Sarah, who we, who you know very well, who battled you battled so hard for her uh, to, to win her seat. What's the answer there? Well, I mean, everything's temporary. Yeah, So you'd ask me to put things in a kind of
1: uh, eternal context Everything is temporary But in important book in the Old Testament it's Ecclesiastes And it starts off I always say Ecclesiastes is uh, You can read it as very depressing Or not From a Christian perspective Ecclesiastes is what the world is like If there isn't Jesus So it's, it really reflects on it's a, it's a slightly nihilistic piece of work Is Ecclesiastes And it's a great read all the same It starts off anyway uh, with meaningless meaningless Everything is meaningless, (laughs) which is really depressing. And then he realised that... um, I say he realised, I was told by someone who knows better than me, that the literal translation, the word, is not meaningless. The word translated is able, as in Canaan able. And what does able mean? Able means a a little gust of air. Um, uh, And, in other words, not unimportant, not meaningless, but temporary. Yeah. And so... um, that does not mean that you shouldn't do so. Another related book is the Pro- book of Proverbs. Uh, in there, whatever put you put your hand to, do with all your might. So the fact that you're in an eternal context, and to put it you know, in a rather crass way, in a hundred years' time, none of this will matter, mm-hmm. and that's kind of true for all of us. We think all these great achievements, well, you can't take them with you. So, but nevertheless, what you do in your time here is, is hugely significant. It is yeah. just temporary. It's, well, it's easy pretty... to say that; it's hard to live it. And when you see your friends, you know, Greg, who's been a mate of mine for 15, sixteen years, something like that now, um, and obviously my closest friend in this place for twelve and I miss him. I of really course, miss him, of course. You he know. So. Um he's just not around. Um I saw him last Tuesday, and that was great, but um it's that's is, that's is heartbreaking you think of Sarah who put her back into it and was an MP for just six months doesn't seem right does it but then again you, you see that spirit and she has been out knocking on doors and delivering um, over the last three, four weeks you yeah. know? so I wouldn't want to be Zach Goldsmith she will be down his neck for as long as this parliament lasts and then she'll beat him at the end of it mm. so it's a, it's a philosophical sort of question how, how do you deal with it all I think the question is not how one feels; it's how one acts. So you must show support, real support, to uh, people who have lost their seats. Practical support, and in yourself, you need to remember that when it's when you have defeated other, I'm just talking, I was at Goldsmith, but you, know, you beat people who are the opposition. You can still have you know deep personal sympathy with people whose lives have changed because it's not just the you know, loss of income and all the rest of it. It's um
0: for a lot of people, it's a loss of a role in life, yeah, direction. Yeah. 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 yeah, I mean, I, I have thought about that quite a lot, but I mean, per, like, I, I think that there is deep unrest within segments of the party. Definitely, you know, people that I've spoken to, they either blame, you know, the stuff that happened early on in our campaign that was focused on you personally and your your um, religious beliefs, um, which I think are personally ridiculous. Um, not not just because they use that as a, as a reason, but obviously the whole thing in itself, but um, but also the campaign literature, and then also our overall strategy. How do you feel about so, the campaign strategy, the literature yeah. in itself? Like Mark Williams, for example, you know, stuff that was... The literature was really aimed quite poorly. I thought, I mean, for what it's worth, I thought our literature campaign was,
1: was pretty good. Um, I'm sure you can find particular areas where... We might not have liked what all the messaging said. I think, look, we made a decision a year ago to bet the future of the party on us supporting Britain in Europe. And that was divisive. And it nearly cost me my seat. I knew what I was doing.
3: Yeah, it
0: was
1: close, um, right? And yeah, I knew what I was doing. I made a choice that our party was about to evaporate into nothing. And here is the thing that had just happened, Brexit, that broke my heart that I thought ran the risk and still does run the risk of turning Britain into a, a poorer, weaker, less safe, less relevant country. And as a patriot, I hate that. I also saw that my party had the opportunity to take a marmite position, and I like Marmite, by the way, a marmite position on the biggest issue of the day, when our real challenge as a party was not the opposition, it was total and utter irrelevance. And that's where we were going. So we made that bold decision, and it paid off. And the party is saved, and the party has purpose. But there was collateral. Yeah. And I'm responsible for that collateral. I was the leader. I still am for the moment. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, mean,
0: I was nearly part of that collateral. Yeah. But I don't. I mean, I yeah. My heart was in my mouth for a moment there you know, in a couple of occasions. But that was. Um... That was close, but you got it, so who cares now, right? You know? No, no, I mean, I do, you know, I do care. You know, but um,
1: I don't think the party's ever, with the possible exception of the Iraq war um, and the decision we took on that, I don't think we've ever taken such a brave and dangerous decision for the yeah. future of the party. And I'm... actually, you know, but if you've only got eight seats and you're going to evaporate to nothing, yeah. if you don't do something bold, to me, it seemed a no brainer, but lots of people were very critical. People said, "No, we need to you know hedge our bets and don't don't oppose brexit there's too many people who spend their in politics who spend their time nuancing their arguments, trying to please everybody you're not going to maybe if you 've got three hundred seats, yeah you can afford nuance you've got eight you flipping can't if you are a party who's almost not not just its raison d'etre now but going back ever since the second world war in many ways the our our being pro-Europe before Britain joined Europe in the 15, 20 years before we joined, that was in part the reason for our salvation and our non-implosion in the 1950s under Joe Grimmond. So we are following in big footsteps there. So it seemed to me a no-brainer we should do it,
0: but it was a big risk. And
1: so you, you take a big risk, um, you expect to be criticised. Yeah,
0: and so going forward, I suppose it's about Vince now... He so he says stuff now that on Andrew Marr, oh um you know it's a possibility that Brexit might not happen, and literally people are like, "Oh okay, the press anyway, mm. it's not like this massive like bitchy twitter sphere storm of, of craziness, but if someone like yourself says it, it's like, whoa. no i what? don't I think I'm, it I, you know, it rather
1: depends, doesn't it really I think what's What's happened is that it's about timing, not the people saying it. The general election result has muddied the water over what the will of the people actually is. Now, I'm afraid I'm not one of those people who thinks you can just cancel Brexit. I think that that would be illegitimate and counterproductive. And I, think, I, I think I am. I'm afraid. Um, but I just don't <laughs> think... Well, even though I thought I'd like to, I think you can't. Yeah. I think the only way we're staying in Europe or rejoin the European Union is if is by democratic means which means you've got to set up a democratic means for that to happen. That's the referendum on the deal. I don't think, I think Theresa May has proven in the general election we just had that politicians are incapable of saying to the British people, this general election is about X and purely X, because the British people say, no, it's not, it's about Y, Z and all the rest of it. So I think the only way to remain in the European Union is for the terms of the deal, at whatever stage of the process, to be put to the British people and they're asked, Do you want this or do you want to stay? Yeah. I think that way we can stay Mm. and have closure. Now, obviously, those people who are committed to leaving will be very angry with that. But I think you couldn't argue that the will of the people have been somehow ignored. The people have been asked their will on a different question. They'd expressed it and we followed it. So I think that's entirely legitimate. So the point I'm making is that we've been through a general election where the outcome was to muddy the will of the people. It's, It's just hard to be clear what they said because they weren't really asked. and uh, But I think you, ca- you can say that the most extreme version of Brexit now doesn't look like it's got a mandate. And you can say that as we now go into the practical belly of the detail of what the Brexit deal might look like, that I think people are beginning to say, well, I don't like that, I don't like that, I don't like that. And you get people on both sides. You get those people who are committed to the UK staying in Europe who will be unlikely to be happy very much that David Davis comes back with, but they also people who were who were voted leave and who will believe that they are being betrayed either by too few restrictions on freedom of movement, yeah, <laughs> or by too many restrictions on uh, our trade with the rest of Europe. Uh, that. Means that in the end, the government will be left with a position where if it's, it'll be lucky if twenty percent of the people actually agree with where it gets to. Yeah. Um, so what Vince thing is doing is, I think the election has given permission to those who think that Britain's future should still be in Europe to express those views. And you know, Vince is not the leader yet. By the time this comes out, he will be, but he's not a leader. And he's, you know, and so it's perfectly right for him to, you know, to commentate in that way. I don't think, yeah. you know, was he saying he was personally going to sabotage Brexit? Mm-hmm. No, I think he was saying the government's creating such a mess. I can see a, yeah. uh, a sequence of events where Brexit doesn't happen.
0: Yeah, no, no, of course. But um, so when you're reflecting, what, what, are you, what are the highlights of your election? Well, I loved the. Other than, the debates. Other than kissing kids and hold, holding kids and like, you know. And sniffing like spaniels. That. Yeah, sniffing yeah, that spaniels. Was great. Um, loaded, I mean, there were some great highlights, but I mean, I think I,
1: I, I really enjoyed the debates. Uh, I found them frustrating because there's just too many people in them. You know, the one the ITV one was five people, but Jeremy Corbyn wouldn't go, and Theresa May wouldn't go. Um, the one in Cambridge was Jeremy Corbyn was there, Amber Rudd obviously stood in for Theresa May, and I knew in that case, not the seven of you, but you saying there's five of you that are left of centre. You're all going to sound the flipping same. Yeah. So I just chose. I chose humour. Yeah, I thought that was the best. I thought I, in advance. I thought, right, you're only going to stand out here by being yourself, yeah. being a bit irreverent. Um, so you came and, up with um, the, the Cory line. So the, there was the there's the Bake Off um, line, yeah. and, and Theresa May hanging around outside your house, sizing it up to pay for your Social care and so, and so, yeah. and so that, those sorts of things. <laughs> but I enjoyed that. I really enjoyed the question time with Nick Robinson, which was a kind of one on one. That flew by It's mm-hmm. half an hour, it felt like 10 oh, minutes, yeah. if that. Uh, Andrew Neil was interesting. Oh, uh, he, that was oh well,
0: I, I can't believe I haven't put that in, the, in here. Uh, yeah, he, he was I, well, he do was you know? What, so, I, I mean, people have I've
1: seen such different views of that interview, oh, and I'm intrigued. Some people thought it was, terrible, a, I man. was, well, some people thought I was dreadful, and I. Basically, Andrew Neal, very, very talented guy. And his job is to try and crush his interviewee. That's his style he's entitled to embark upon it. My job was not to be crushed. Yeah. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and frankly, you know, sometimes, oh, you know, yeah. as more, here we are, football analogies. Okay, you know, go you're going to go on the BBC or Leaders' Debate and you're going to try and get three points. And I think I did. And you're going to go on question time, you reckon you can get three points. I reckon I did. You go on the ITV, lead the debate, try and get three points. I reckon I did. Andrew Neal, it's Old Trafford. You are going to grind out a dirty draw. Yeah. And I
0: got an away point and I'm proud of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, well done with the energy. <laughs> I think we're always safe on those, you and I. So I just, I remember that being just. Well, that was awful. Oh, my God. But the thing is, you begin to learn. He's got a
1: strategy. What was the point was he, Well, he asks a question, you begin to answer it. And then his strategy is to try and divert you, put you off by asking the same third, fourth. And my strategy is basically to carry on answering the first yeah. and not let him interrupt. And if he wanted to, I'd start again. Yeah. And you start again. But it doesn't mean I don't respect the guy. He's a really, really talented interviewer. That's his choice of style. And, you know, if you play playing Wimbledon, a.k.a. 1988, you know it's long ball. It's not very pretty, but if you let them play the way they want to play... You end up as Liverpool and lose. Yeah, we're not having that.
0: Yeah, <laughs> no, no. It's just really, it's just, it's just funny because it's, um, it's so much to go through, like to sort of just, like to just filter through everything that happened in that six-week period. And oh God, I mean, I mean, well, so being on a bus
1: was entertaining. It was the Crystal Palace team bus. Yeah, the uh, well, we had the, a chat about that. The, the, the quite funny, <laughs> Boudoirs, we called it. So I, I enjoyed that. Going around the country, it was great. Um,
0: any, did, any hangovers at all?
1: Uh, no, not really. I mean, I kind of, um, I think I kept all that to absolutely a, um, a limit. We did have karaoke on the back of the bus with The Guardian and The Daily Mail. That's the kind of, you know, bridge builders that we are. Right, yeah. And I want to point out that without any visual prompt whatsoever, I uh, I sang the whole of The Whole of the Moon by The Waterbuilt Boys. Of course. Absolutely did. lyric perfect yeah. all the way through. Uh, musically, uh, whilst I was out campaigning with Greg in Leeds, Did he I get his guitar across... out? He didn't, no. But what well, he made, it, but not allowed. That came across my new favourite band, who are called Rolling Blackouts Coastal Fever. Oh, that's uh, a new one because you that's... always reference a band, and I, I never know. They're great. Yeah. Um, and then I have to say, I and mean, this is really tragic, but it, you know, I went to Manchester the night after the bomb, uh, which was actually the night after I saw you. Yeah. Because we were about to go off to Gibraltar after I saw you uh, last. And yeah. it got cancelled because of the Manchester bomb. And I went up to I went up to Manchester night after for the the vigil, which is really, really, really moving. And afterwards, no campaigning, which was absolutely right. There shouldn't have been anything. I just went down I had and walked around uh, Manchester, um, just talking to people. And uh, we saw people going into into clubs and into into gigs the night after the bomb, and yeah. I thought that says something about the spirit. But one of these places with the Albert, the old Albert Hall. Um, and bumped into a bunch of guys going in in white itself is, was it's very nice, and they were and um, and just as I was walking away all, I looked up and there was an advert for the Avalanches uh, yeah. who we were going to be live on the twenty something of June. Yeah, and I thought I absolutely flipping love the Avalanches. They're going to be here. Are you it's after the? And I went. I was it just, was, great. just that was yeah yeah. So me and Rosie went, and it was um, it was a great yeah. you know. It, was, it just felt like the campaign was done when I went there. And yeah. It was great to you're a band who are so exuberant, and um, that I've loved since the the first album. Well, they've only done two. But it yeah. took, took them seventeen years to do a second. To, yeah, there so. you go. So I think that is. Yeah, no, no. Um, I'm
0: being chased now. Are you able um, to say goodbye to the listeners? Yeah, listeners,
1: goodbye. Uh, not for not forever, just for this particular interview. I am. I'm, uh, I'm. I'm not going off to lick my wounds. <laughs> I've got no wounds to lick. I'll be. Uh, I will be. I will be back. all of that
0: Hey, thanks for listening. If you have got any feedback, don't forget, you can always email us, thelimehousepodcast at gmail.com. Right, okay. Hello, welcome back to The Limehouse Podcast. My God, it's been so long. We've we've even got Elaine Bagshaw here. Elaine, say hello.
2: Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me back.
3: And we've got, uh, who have we got? Who's this handsome rogue to my left? And my beard has grown so much in the last two weeks, you can't recognise yeah, it. Yeah,
2: that's
0: it. Yeah. And you've got sweaty
2: hair from Cycling Over. I yeah. did notice when I saw you on the news during the election that you'd shaved especially for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. D- did you? Did you shave?
0: I got I got told. Oh, really? Yeah. You got schooled? Yeah. Okay, right. Well, should we, we crack on with it? Um, so I went to see Tim Farron a little while ago. I guess, well, it was last Tuesday, actually. And, his last um, interview as leader. I, I, I suppose the election campaign, specifically with George, I kind of got to know him a little bit through Simon Hughes' campaign and also, geez Louise, uh, yeah. Your campaign, it's kind of been really weird. Like, I felt really comfortable with him immediately. And um, I think he felt like that too. Um, but what, should we
3: start with you, George? Like, what was your feeling about that interview? Well, I think the major takeaway was his his statement about how he saved the party yeah, uh, okay, yeah. and also how um, the, the decision to focus on Brexit uh, and to make that the main issue saved the party. Uh, and, you know, it's not often you get political leaders, definitely leaders of parties, talking about a party going into extinction. Yeah. But he talks at one point about, you know, the winding up of the SDP and saying that could have happened to the Liberal Democrats. I yeah. Mean, um, I don't think I've heard that from anyone before. And I thought that was quite... Quite surprising yeah elaine what do you reckon
2: um well i think because i was a member all the way through coalition so was there on the 2015 election night so in some ways yes he takes some credit for things that happened i'm not sure it was solely his decision to bet the house on brexit i don't think the party would have had it go any other way but it is interesting that like we're now having that conversation about how close did we actually come to the brink and I think a lot of people haven't realized just how how bad it was well, people say about how bad it was. if you look at Parliament, yes, we went down to eight m p s but then I also know we had so many more members join. We had a very good referendum campaign, so I'm not sure I'd buy the we were close to being wound up, yeah. argument. I think if we'd had another election in twenty like just after twenty fifteen, then yeah, we would have been wiped out, but what once. Brexit happened, I think that was kind of, that was a lot less likely to happen. Okay,
0: so the activists um, out there who've, who've campaigned for the Liberal Democrats, you know, I, I don't want to piss off anyone who's like, not an activist, and is just listening for the sheer thrill of it. We are thrilling people after all. Would they be uh, disheartened or annoyed by that? Like that comment that uh, we were threatened to be, we would have been wound up were it not for me, by, by Tim's intervention, not intervention, but along those lines.
2: I don't think he said, if not for me. I mean, yeah. he did make some, um, so he said very clearly he wanted the membership of the party to be over 100,000 yeah. and did things to make sure that that happened and had the internal party battles to make sure we kept things like incentives that to kept local parties recruiting. So he definitely did a bit... I worry that there is a mentality in the party of since twenty fifteen we've been sat waiting for some hero to come and save us. Yeah. And if like and now people are like, Well it wasn't him, so maybe it's Vince. Yeah. Maybe he will be it. Um and even around like staff in HQ about um what's gonna happen with the chief executive. Oh well if we get someone new, like they'll change everything and everything will be wonderful. Yeah. Um and it just it doesn't happen because it's a it's a team effort when you're in a party Like ours. So that's my worry about that whole narrative and kind of claiming that one person did everything is that everyone sits there and goes, right, we'll just, we'll just wait. I I think that's
0: (laughs) what, sorry, I just think that's what we're kind of used to with Paddy Ashdown, Nick Clegg, Charles Kennedy, these sort of like really like uh, symbolic male figures that are like almost bigger than the party themselves that sort of somehow lift the party out. A bit like Matt Letizia in Southampton Football Club, sorry. And, um, <laughs> and uh, that's how that's kind of maybe how the Lib Dems have been for a long time, and they've kind of were decimated to a degree. Well, no, they were decimated, and now we've kind of been forced to look at people
3: like Tim. Well, I think it's. A, I think I'd say two things. First of all, you know, I think the decision to just, as Tim phrases it, bet the farm mm. on Brexit did give the party purpose mm-hmm. in a way that it hadn't done since the Iraq war, probably. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and actually, you know, it's not just about the air war. It's not just what the leading politicians say mm. on the ground, us oh, the, in the air, but also what campaigners are putting in their leaflets on the ground. And I think for a very long time, sadly, the Lib Dems were all too comfortable with running very diverse, some might say contradictory mm-hmm. campaigns, in different parts of the country. Yeah. And actually the focus on Brexit gave everybody this one unified purpose, which really did help to bring the party together after a very traumatic experience in 2015. Yeah. However, you know, at the same time, you know, Tim's got to be put a positive spin on it because he was the leader during that Mm. time. I don't actually think the result this time round was that spectacular. Mm, No. You know, if you look at the second places... We got absolutely destroyed. Mm. Um, you yeah, know, we so, yeah. uh, we I think are in second place in like thirty six seats in the country. Yeah. Yeah. you know, for, uh, ten years ago we didn't lose a single deposit in the country. Uh, yeah. We lost over two hundred and fifty. Yeah,
2: most, most we've ever lost this time, and yeah. we lost vote share as well. So the narrative in the party is well, yeah, we lost vote share, but we gained seats. I'm sat looking at it, going, "Well, I joined this party to see us in government one day, and as far as I'm concerned, we've slipped quite far back <laughs> right. on that yeah. journey." Because George is right, we're in second in so many fewer places now, yeah. and there needs to be a lot more people that are willing to do the thing that Lynn Featherstone did, that I'm trying to do, where you rebuild in your own area. Because yeah. otherwise, there's going to be 200 very good candidates going after 40 seats. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
3: and it's it's you know it's really difficult that second placed here. Is crucial. Because mm-hmm. in so many parts of the country, in, in a first-past-the-post system, we got picked up votes and seats by being not the party in power yeah. and the main challenger. Hmm. In so many places of that country, we have lost that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we need to rebuild it in another, in another way. Yeah. yeah.
2: And I worry that the party has forgotten how it got into second place like initially. So that like trying to get guidance from people about how do you I mean in Tower Hamlets we have a very unique political situation with two groups of independents, not just one. Um and how do you leapfrog them and how do you leapfrog the Tories and unless you go to people like Lynn who have done it in relatively recent memory, there's not a lot of people out there who can kind of say that like that they've done it any time recent and in the context of there's a digital campaign and things like that. Most people that did it did it thirty 20 years ago yeah uh, it's not it's quite difficult to well yeah do I mean anything.
0: I did want to touch on maybe Tim's um tone in that interview like his um it, it felt to me I didn't feel necessarily uncomfortable with him talking about religion in such a specific way because he really felt like to me like his he was you know the reins were off he was mm. going for a hell for leather and started quoting like ecclesiastes and stuff like that and I was fine with that because like you know man's got to do what a man's got to do you know and uh why not but how did how did you guys feel about it? and how how are our listeners gonna choose? That? How do you think they will
3: be? What will they be thinking about that? Well, I mean, I think what I think is really interesting about this whole world is that from the point of view of a of an outsider, somebody who's not particularly attached to any organized religion, such as myself, poor guy, you can you <laughs> can see religion as in some ways being a philosophical prison, right? You <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. And, and being and people being restrained in how they can think you know it restrains free thought because actually if you're evangelical you you are you know you are kind of going towards what the book says rather than your own personal beliefs yeah and you know without in any way meaning this coming across as kind of dead you know' bad towards him or anything he yeah. kind of came across a little bit like that okay. in the interview particularly in the way he talked about the struggles. During the election. Yeah. No, and, yeah and I, I just so. wonder, you know, whether during the election he he tried to kind of have this differentiation between, you know, what, what was his line? It was, I'm not the Pope. I'm not running for the Pope. I'm running yeah. for the Prime Minister. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. Now, as we hear him talk more and more like that in the interview that you've just done... I think more and more people realise, well, actually, what he means by that is his church really does have those views that many people feared feared and suspected it did. Yeah. Now, if he had maybe said, listen, I am a member of a church which has some views which many people wouldn't agree with, including about gay sex, Mm -hmm. but I don't personally feel that it's right to impose the views of a church I'm a member of on the rest of the country. Didn't he say that, though? At some point during the campaign, didn't he roughly hit on those notes? Well, I think what the, the way the public felt about it and what they were seeing was somebody who was really struggling themselves with their own personal views. Right. And okay. that's what was very unattractive to many people. Yeah. Uh, and it came across almost as dishonest, because it was like, look, do you believe this or do you not? Mm. Whereas actually what it needed to be, and he was, and you're right, he did try to get to this place, but it was actually... I'm part of a community which is wider than just me. Yeah. Uh, and that community has beliefs which I don't get to choose. Yeah. Uh, but what I do get to choose is my personal actions. Uh, and I've chosen not to, to, to go along with the views of my faith or the views of my church yeah it's not really i think it's wrong to say the views of my faith actually because there's plenty of christians Mm. who don't hold those views yeah but it's that particular church yeah and you know it must have been a really um difficult process right because you know as i say you find yourself in a culture which is not accommodating to your own beliefs, maybe. Yeah, no, no. And how absolutely. do you reconcile those two things? Well, I suppose that's
0: what the whole... I don't know, maybe that's what I was feeling. But how did, how did you feel about the whole balancing out of the, the church versus his political, I don't know, persuasions, the party?
2: Yeah, so I found it quite difficult. And I actually found listening to the interview quite difficult because these were things that came up when he was running for the leadership And if he'd said something along the lines of what George just said then, I don't think he'd have ended up as leader. He'd have been more honest and we'd have known what we were getting if we voted Mm -hmm. for him. Um, But that's not what he did. And it was often dismissed as a question along the same lines as they tried to do during the general election. Um, As someone that supported him for leader, I guess I feel quite, I am quite angry about it. Because if I'd known, I probably wouldn't have supported him when he ran. Because I... uh, If that's how he feels, then that's how he feels. But I feel you shouldn't be leader of a liberal party if that's what what you subscribe to and what your church subscribes to, and that you and that you can't square square the two.
3: Yeah. Well, I was just going to say that you know that is the kind of what he said in his leaving speech. A little bit was dealt with that in the sense that he says you know I I don't think you can Mm, do those two things. Now, I just think there is a question about whether that's right or not. Right? Mm. If you take the view that um, politics should be secular I think it's then very difficult to say that you should exclude people on the basis of their church whatever that church may be if they are very very clear and open about the fact that they will behave in a secular way when it comes to politics I think the thing with Tim was that there was all this question always this question mark about whether he was truly doing that, or whether it was for show,, mm, yeah. and that's where the kind of slight evasiveness about answering the question really was damaging, yeah, um, um, yeah,
2: what did he really believe because in some ways it's not really about his church, it's what does he believe as an individual, exactly. and did he believe that yeah. homosexuality is a sin or that gay sex is a sin, however like the hundreds of ways that they framed the question, and um, so I guess for me is if he did believe that with our record on LGBT rights, the number of members that we have, and just what we stand for as Liberals, that's the bit that I struggle as a member to say, I am comfortable with you leading the party, with you having that view. Okay, yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. I mean, I I suppose I'm down with that. I think I'm I'm just really... I think um, I'm a newbie to politics and all that kind of jazz. I just feel like when he's opposite you, you can't help but feel quite, you know at home with the man he's, yeah. he's he's very sweet he's from he is a very fatherly guy and he's very engaging very sincere you know i mm-hmm. i mean one of the reasons that really got me into his politics I suppose was his as I think I mentioned in the interview was his um his standpoint on the refugee crisis yeah. which is like you know outstanding you know mm-hmm. like, but then again you know why why wouldn't he be he's a liberal for goodness' sake if he wasn't doing mm-hmm. that if he wasn't standing up for refugees it would be a bit strange
3: yeah I yeah mean, I guess what I would say about this yes yeah. Him stuff yeah is i mean if i had been asked the question you know do you believe gay sex is a sin my answer would probably be well i don't really believe in sin right? so, <laughs> yeah. so the whole thing seems a little bit strange to me yeah but, but the question is really like if you do believe in sin if you have a faith background how do you reconcile those things and for me i just can't mm. really understand it right because i am not brought up in that Tradition, right? Yeah. Or, or that background, mm. or that community. Yeah. But I really think you know it is it is different for people who are, and I think we kind of got a sense of that in your interview. mean Tim really kind of exposed just how much his faith does color a lot of his mm. views. Yeah. Um, and was quite open about that.
0: Yeah, I think when you start quoting the Bible, it's kind of hard not to get away from that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. Sorry. It's an
2: interesting debate though around, because for me it's then because i I have no faith either, um but went to a uh, a school where you had religious assemblies and everything else because most of what he talks about and we're getting into quite a theological discussion is about how does religion how much is religion kind of centered and based in a very particular time in history. So all of the, so the things that are written about, um, there's the really famous scene from The West Wing where he absolutely demolishes a woman that's in the White House. So he's an evangelical Christian and talks about, should I stone my mother to death because she's wearing um, clothes that are made from uh, two types of thread? And, you know, there are things like that in there that we don't adhere to anymore. And as a, as a society, if you've gotten to the point where gay rights are, universal and fundamental women's rights are as well at what point do you kind of say actually that is part of of a relic of the past and not something that we should adhere to anymore
3: hello you've been listening to the limehouse podcast if you're a fan of the show if you like listening to it You know, one of the nicest things you could do is to add a review on iTunes. It makes a real difference and it will mean that many, many more people get to hear it because it will get boosted up the rankings. So if you like us, do tell people on iTunes. Thanks very much.
0: Okay, so welcome back. We're going to talk a little bit more. About Vince Cable because uh, as of last Wednesday, uh, the whatever of July, he became the royal leader of Yacht uh, Lib-, Thursday. Lib Dem Thursday, and um, yeah, I, 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 it was a foregone conclusion. Yikes, we all knew it was going to happen, but still, what have we got to look forward to? What's happened since he's in the week that he's been leader? Because we we've spoken a hell of a lot about what he could do. But what's happened in, in the week that he's been leader? Anything jumped out at you? Any articles in the Guardian? Because that's all you ever, you know, it's only time you ever get to hear
3: from Vince, right?
2: Nothing massive has no. jumped out, to be honest. So today, maybe I'm just not paying enough attention any, anymore.
3: Yeah. Well, this is obviously the week of chlorinated chicken gate. Okay. Mm. Um, yeah. Where chicken became the issue of the day in UK politics. Carry right, on. so basically. Liam Fox. I think Liam Fox was in the US as International Trade Secretary. Oh, yeah. And and Trump was like, oh, we're going to have the best deal. That's (laughs) an awful impression. Yeah. But he's going to have the greatest trade deal with the UK, etc., etc. And then the kind of chicken farming lobby in the US said, well, you know, any trade deal Mm. with the UK is going to have to involve them eating our chicken. And the chicken lobby in the UK were like, well, hold on, that means... Mm chlorinated chicken because that's what they do in the US they dip their they bleach their chickens before human consumption mm-hmm. and then so it became this whole thing about you know well are we going to have to you know if Liam Fox wants a trade deal are we going to have to eat chlorinated chicken Liam Fox just dismisses this by saying like well, some people are you know, this is a really important thing and they're just going on about chlorinated chicken and I just thought, like, what is the whole thing about chlorinated chicken anyway? Like, why why is this a thing? It just seems so oh weird. So I actually looked it up. Oh, yeah, I did as well, yeah.
2: yeah. Do, you to, do you want to pick yeah.
3: up
0: where
2: George left off? Uh, so, so the difference, in I guess, between EU legislation and US legislation is, like George said, they bleach their chicken at the end. So they do nothing to look after animals properly as they farm them. Um, so there are less protections against disease, less rules around what you can and can't feed them and how you have to keep them Because once they've slaughtered them, they just dip them in bleach, and that kills most of the. It's all about like the prevention of disease. Yeah, Yeah. we've done a lot more to say actually feed them in this way. They should be how that's why you've got rules around cages and how you can keep them and things like that. And so there, there are less diseases anyway. But also, we don't dip them in bleach.
3: Yeah, but the thing is, it's like this is one of these things where the news just becomes so detached from reality. Yeah. because they're just following what these politicians are saying rather than actually looking mm. at what the issue is because <laughs> this actually isn't an issue about chlorine and chicken this is a discussion about animal welfare yeah yeah and uh, and also about you know um, health and safety in the mm. food chain in general yeah. and
2: industrial farming industrial all of those farming
3: things. exactly good quality you know the quality of the food supply in the food chain And so, you know, this kind of was all characterised about chlorine and chickens. But actually what it is, is the question is, you know, by getting into this trade deal with the United States, do we want to fundamentally degrade the protections around farming Mm. and the quality of farming as something? And that's a really, really important question. Mm, It's fundamental to our health. I mean, cry
0: out loud, you know, our NHS, right, on its knees. We're looking to the future 30, 40 years down the line. If we start eating that shit... Yeah, eat some bleachy
2: chicken. Right, yeah. Keep keep
0: lowering our standards. See where that gets us. Mm. But you
3: only have to see... You've got to watch the film Food Incorporated. Okay. Yeah, I've watched
2: that. Yeah, Yeah. it's good. Netflix. Anything
3: like (laughs) the Bruce Springsteen song Murder Incorporated? Nothing like it. (laughs) But it's about basically mass farming in the Mm. US, intensive farming, and all of the things that that results in, and the horrible diseases that Mm. the livestock gets, etc., And that is basically what this issue with Liam Fox blithely just, you know, going, oh, people are talking about chlorinated chicken. Who cares about chlorinated chicken? That's what it's really about. Mm. Yeah. And I think the other thing that really came out is, like, what's super interesting about, well, super interesting and super depressing is that when you hear Liam Fox talk, it's almost like he's, like, saying oh, I've just had this amazing idea, free trade, and no one's ever thought of it before. <laughs> and, you know, now that I've thought of it, we'll do it, and everything will be wonderful. And, oh, there's these people who are just coming up with these stupid, like, you know, bleached chicken mm. stupid arguments who are right, probably okay. Ramona's and don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. Actually, you know, the world has been pretty much signed up, the Western world has been pretty much signed up to free trade for the last 40 years. Right, and yeah. there's been constant rounds of trade talks, to try and get free trade. And the reason why these rules about chlorinated chicken or you know other kind of technical rules exist which act as barriers to trade is because they're actually really important. Mm. And 40 years of negotiation has meant that we've not been able to break those barriers because people care about them. Yeah. And a bit of understanding of that from the government would go a long way to understanding actually a lot more about this European issue and why so many people yeah. and why it's going to be such a mess. So, uh, Elaine, do you feel like maybe we're sleepwalking
0: into this? As a British public, like George is saying, like how these, these, these headlines get rewritten about chlorinated chicken. Well, what did the, the bigger... Issue below below the surface is. Do you feel like we're this is just one deal we're trying to walk into? There's and then it's like beef, and after that it's it's I don't know light bulbs or something like that. It's...
2: Well, so I think it's interesting because from what I've seen on things like social media and the their reaction, this is the kind of thing that I think actually starts to change the public mood on Brexit because it is that you're willing to sell my kids chicken dipped in bleach in order to get a trade deal with the US. yeah, That's not what I thought taking back control was about. I thought things were going to get better. And instead, you're actually selling me down the river. Think about the amount of farmers that were unhappy with EU farming legislation who probably yeah. voted leave... Who may now be sat there going, hang on a second, you're talking about swamping the UK market with huge amounts of this stuff because they produce ridiculous amounts of it, and um, which will make everything so much cheaper here, and then our farmers get massively undercut. Like that's not what leaving was supposed to be about. So more things like this, I think like, I guess, whilst from an academic point of view, yes, it's annoying because there's a big animal welfare issue as well, if the smaller headline of it's chicken that's dipped in chlorine, like being dipped in a swimming pool, is what gets people talking about, hang on a second, I did not vote for this. Yeah. Then it's it's a helpful it will be something, steer on the yeah. story. It will be something stupid like that,
0: right? Not stupid, but it'll be something like less fundamental than the actual rights of the animals, mm. you know. But these We're,
2: are all the things we should have been talking about in Stronger
3: absolutely. The hilarious thing is, like, when I was doing my chlorinated chicken research... <laughs> Uh, to find to get to the bottom of this you know i found articles from the daily mail in like 2008 when the eu was considering a trade deal with the us and the t thing yeah when the us lobby was coming up with the same stuff and the, you know daily mail was using this like european bureaucrats are going to force your children <laughs> to eat bleached chicken oh god
0: <laughs> yeah god it's
2: just yeah it's incredible the way that things switch so quickly um yeah. but it's i mean it's the first of a number of things um and also it's helped by the fact that the minister's dealing with this are utterly inept so yeah Liam Fox's attitude is like yeah I'm a genius no one's ever thought of this before <laughs>
3: well but, and Gove today has said we're not going to accept any chlorinated chicken in the UK yeah <laughs> um, so it just shows how much of a complete mess mm. The country is in at the moment yeah. on this because you've got you know Gove and Fox at each other on it, and and then in the Labour Party this week yeah. they've just been all over the place. Yeah. So so
0: do you want to talk about uh, the the official opposition, the Labour Party? I don't. I don't want this to become a um, weekly how bad the Labour the Party Labour is, party Brexit is on Brexit because there are because
2: it's too <laughs> although if any of our listeners want to create that podcast, yeah. we would be happy to come on. I, 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 I think
0: it's like a delicate balance between being positive. And, and you know, filling people's heads with, with with crap too much. I mean, I don't mind filling people's heads with crap. You know, I talk to my little dog, Rosie, all the time. She takes it. She's fine. Look, she's chilled out on the sofa behind us. So it's all good. But there is a fundamental thing here. This isn't like, you know, essentially like mudslinging for the sake of it. But John McDonald and uh, Jeremy Corbyn were mm-hmm. all over the place this week in the last sort of five days. But we have just slagged off. The Lib Dems quite heavily as well, in in a constructive way.
2: (laughs) So our position on Brexit at least is clear,
3: right? (laughs) But anyway, Brexit is very clear. But the Labour Party position is on the one hand say they want all the all the benefits of being in Mm. the club, right? So the the logic of that is. You've got to be in the club because you can't have all the membership benefits without being a member and paying your membership fee mm-hmm. yeah. and abiding by the rules, right? Which is what the single market and the European Court of Justice and the payment for entry is all about and the free movement of the people. At the same time, they say, well, being in a single market is like being in the EU. People voted to leave the EU. So we've got to leave the single market and we've got to take back to control of our borders and we've got to have uh, closed down immigration and... Those two things are completely uh, opposite, polar opposite positions in the debate, more or less. Mm. And yet they're being spoken about at the same time. Not by the leadership and some crazy backbenchers, mm. but the two most senior people in the party. Yeah. And I just think that political position is unsustainable over the medium term. Right yeah. Now there's so many people who are just like, it's not real for people. But in a year's time, what are they going to do? And I don't know what they're going to do. Do
2: you know what they're going to do? No idea. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's, that's where it gets interesting because, um, in terms of getting approval for whatever deal comes back and everything else, the government's going to have to start bringing something back in mm. the next twelve months. And then what do Labour do? You've got Chukaramuna with his like alternative grouping and his alternative manifesto that he had people sign up to during the general election. And then you've got the other. Then you've got Kate Hoey still in the Labour Party, mm. um, and it just doesn't make any sense whatsoever so they're either going to get called out quite quickly or we'll see what happened during the general election where people's fear of the Tories is far stronger than their I guess fear of what happens with Brexit yeah so this might still be something that they don't pay the price for until after another election or until I after think the, the other Brexit thing deal. is that
3: well, we all were, what, we? what the okay. Labour Party yeah. showed was the their that they are comfortable voting with the Tories over Brexit. Yeah. And people, I don't think, really understood that. For some for whatever reason, that didn't really cut through. But when it comes to actually the final deal, if the Labour Party vote with the Tories mm. on it, are people gonna swallow that? I mean, are you know, are these all these millions of Labour people that you meet every day who are like I hate the Tories so much, I hate the Tories so much.
2: Yeah, how I hate is, you for going into coalition with them, so therefore I'll vote Labour, even though I've got Kate Hoey, Jim Fitzpatrick in my bit, who voted and in favour of our To country.
0: be fair, some of the things that happen in coalition, you can't really blame the La- some of
3: those Labour supporters for yeah, like, yeah. totally loathing the Liberal Democrats. Mm. But, but still, you know, so if for a large proportion of the Labour Party, just hatred of the Tories is mm. basically their whole being and their mm. whole reason for being part of the Labour Party. When their party... Does the ultimate coalition with the Tories? Mm. Okay, yeah. yeah. How are they going to deal with this? I yeah. mean, I think yeah. there's going to be a lot of heads exploding around the country. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think it's going to get the
0: head popping, exploding moment. Is is I think it's it's going to be like a slow microwave, mm. like low level burn there for like maybe 30, out of 30 hours or whatever you would put you a roast chicken, hey, a chlorinated chicken in the oven. Small chicken, and, yeah, small mm-hmm. chicken. Half an and hour. I, I I can see people like David Lammy, yeah, and and mm. uh, who I had the privilege. of privilege of shaking his hand the other day in portcullis house which was great a very fanboy thing to do but there you go and I, you know surely these people are gonna start coming to the surface more and more you know the, the specifically when we start going through the stuff we were talking about with chlorinated chicken with freaking u.s trade deals and what have you i mean that's the hope right
2: i guess i just don't know so i so i guess this links us back to the conversation we were having earlier i had a conversation with someone who was working on my uh city and east campaign last year Who at one point asked me, like, do we have anything about what it takes for people to change religion? And I was like, why on earth are you asking me this question? And we talked about it and he was like, because I think for people leaving the Labour Party, it's sometimes like that. It is like walking away from your entire family, your entire community, like absolutely everything you've ever known. You know, if you've grown up in um, Derby, former mining town, like... Labour is it and they run everything and if you're not Labour you're a Tory and like there is no there's none of this middle ground that we keep talking about we're going to occupy um so what like I can't see what the thing is that is going to make people walk away because like we had a councillor defect to us when article when Corbyn did the three-line whip on article 50 being triggered but he expected lots of people to come as well yeah. and they just didn't. And you talk to his yeah. colleagues and they're basically like, well, you know, we stayed in opposition and we could win an election under Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah. And it's winning. It's winning that matters. I, and I, not being yeah. Tory. I mean, I still feel like what's the point of you? What is the point of I, your existence? <laughs> yeah,
0: I, mean, I still feel there are lights within that party that will certainly attract people, attract progressive minded people. I can I can get like I see that, you know, I just don't. Yeah. It's what evidence is presented before them. It's whether they do literally have to be... We have to be put in the shit so badly for people to go, oh, my God, we cannot have this. Like, we cannot allow Corbyn and May to walk us down this Brexit aisle of the worst marriage of all kind, you know. Because
2: if I think about, like, similar situations, say, going back to, like, the Iraq war, as far as I remember, there weren't any MPs that crossed the floor from Mm. Labour, so you had like Robin Cook resign from the the cabinet, but it wasn't like, it's like now, it wasn't like there were lots of people in senior leadership positions in the Labour Party that said, this is utterly despicable and I'm off, I'm going to join the only party that's against it Mm. and I think we're in a similar situation
0: Yeah Hey, this is Will, your Limehouse podcast host. Uh, if that makes any sense, and have a have a chat with us on Facebook. We're always there. Just type in the Limehouse podcast into Facebook and get on the group or the page. Bye.